Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. Well, David, uh, again, I appreciate you staying on a little bit after work and uh, uh, knocking out a podcast with me. I know you're at the office and I'm at home, but I'm going to keep with the trend of drinking an after work beer here since you and I both kind of a late day. So I got an old Oktoberfest yeah. kicking around in my fridge still that I'm going to work on while we're chatting here, if that's all good with you. Well, I, br- I brought a Guinness with me t- from home this morning. So Perfect. It's uh, there's a, yeah. no, you know, that's kind of the perks of owning your own office if you want to have an after work beer at work. There's nobody, you know, you own the place. You can kind of do what you want. So I'm all big fan of that. It's yes. cool. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny, a, a bit of a sidebar here, but um, uh, an episode I'm going to do either right before or after yours, um, I'm probably going to do a little solo episode reviewing this, but just on that topic of of ownership, which correct me if I'm wrong. Are you are you a partner or one of the the partners in the practice right now? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. I, um, um, I joined. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. the uh, I I just asked because there's an uh, an article that came out in AAPD this spring that I've been wanting to comment on, but it was a a study where they did a survey of a bunch of residents and asking about practice ownership, um, and then comparing it to the student debt load that they had, and that's been kind of a hot topic. But uh, I was going to read some of the abstract and the findings from that study, um, just with the findings that you know everybody's coming out with. If you have more, I think their findings, I got to go back and review the article, but it's like $400,000 or more in student loan debts. Pediatric dentists are less likely to go and start their own practice where they can be their own boss and do all these cool things that you and I do. Um, And, you know, they're more likely to go into like a, you know, the corporate realm to just try to start making some money to pay off those Mm -hmm. big loans. They don't want to take out more debt and everything else. But um, I don't know why I got that sidebar because we're talking about, you know, it's it's the autonomy to do what you want to in your practice, which is kind of nice, but there's you're finding less and less of that these days with just the crazy student loan situations we got going on too. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, anyways, David, so, so um, uh, you know, I guess we could start, I wanted to learn, I, I kind of can segue into that, but I wanted to learn a little bit more about your practice because I know we haven't got a chance to really catch up and stuff. Uh, I know you guys out are in Tennessee and it looks like you got a couple locations, but Tell me, uh, I guess, tell me a little bit more about, you know, the practice out there and what you guys are up to and maybe your professional journey. And I don't know if you started the practice or bought into it or kind of what your journeys looked like. So kind of fill me in on, on how you got to where you're at right now. Yeah, sure. I, I graduated from dental school in 92 from University of Tennessee. And, um, like in my last year of dental school, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to go continue back into school. I had the applications for pediatric residencies and stuff, but I ended up actually doing a AGD program with the army. Uh, my brother-in-law was in the army. I was single at the time. And I thought, mm, I can't really go back to my hometown. I already know everybody there. <laughs> so I uh, thought, okay, I'll join the army and travel and, you know, just see, see the world. And they sent me to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which was an hour and a half from my hometown. Um, but I did that for a year and went, uh, then I was stationed in Korea, in South Korea for a year and then came back to Fort Campbell. And my plan was to get out of the army at that point. I owed them three years mm-hmm. and um, the army had stopped training pediatric dentists when I went in. 
So right when I was getting ready to get out, they started back going to train pediatric dentist and I applied for it uh, through the army and got accepted. And um, so I did my residency at Baylor in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the, there was two residents that were army residents and we were the first two from the army to, to do our residencies there. Um, so I did general dentistry for a couple of years, did my pediatric residency, um, met my wife in residency. She was a year behind me. And, um, so after residency, I owed the army <clears throat> three more years. So, mm-hmm. um, got stationed in Germany and my wife finished her last year of residency. Uh, we got married while she was in her last year and I was already in Germany. So she came over there. Um, we had our first child over there. And, um, so I moved, I got out of the army in 2002 and that's when I, how I ended up back here, uh, in middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro. And there were two, um, owners at that time already. Uh, the, the person that started the practice started it in, 1983. And then the second partner came in, in 90, 95. And then I came in, in 2002, Mm -hmm. um, bought into the practice in 2005. So I've been a partner since then. We've had a couple people retire. And so we're down to, we have two partners, myself and, uh, being one of them. And then we have three associates. Nice, uh, nice. We opened, yeah, we opened the satellite office in 2000. This has been 11 years. So or 2009, actually, we opened the satellite office. So that, that okay. one's been open for 13 years. And that's actually in my hometown where I grew okay. up. How far apart are the two offices from each other approximately? It's a one hour drive. Each one hour drive. Okay. And you've got a total of, what'd you say, five or six total dentists working, you know, at either office? There's a total of five, total of five. There's one, um, in the, in the satellite office each day. And then there's three in the, uh, primary location here in Murfreesboro each day. Okay. And uh, I'm in the office like three days a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does your wife still work for you? Like, is she part of the practice or does she still practice dentistry at all? Who's, I'm sorry, I couldn't. I'm sorry, no, no, you're okay. Did uh, did your you said your wife was a, a in residency behind you? Is she a pediatric dentist? Does she still practice? She is a pediatric dentist. Um, she's practiced off and on depending on what ages our kids were, and mm-hmm. um, so she's worked in the practice for a while. Now she's actually working some at a at a different practice. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Um, and so yeah. you guys must have a pretty good. So your your home office sounds like the bigger you know, coming from a guy that I just, I'm a one office, one dot guy. I'm kind of still in my infancy of my startup and everything, but, um, you know, I guess tell me a little bit more about kind of the details of the practice a little bit. So it sounds like you've got one home base office that's busy, must have a bunch of chairs. And then you've got a satellite office that maybe runs a little bit leaner. Um, but it obviously must be a pretty bump in practice to run three full-time dentists out of a single office. So what, what's your, you know, patient base and patient flow and number of chairs? What's, what's the office look like? Sure. Like the satellite office has a total of three hygiene chairs and three um, operatories that are, you know, quiet rooms Mm -hmm. that um, we have the, there's a, the associate that works down there. She's in there three days a week, 
and then one of us is down there the the other filling in the other times that's there mm-hmm. and then um and that practice is that that's a booming practice too it's in a smaller town but there's not a lot of pediatric dentists you know anywhere around from there so gotcha. it, it draws from a lot of rural rural areas lower, high carries rate in that mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. um there's that practices a lot of uh um medicare type patients Ten care mm-hmm. is what it's called here in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, but we uh, a lot of our our cases come from from that office and the Murfreesboro office. We we take Medicare also, but it's uh, the the carries rate around here is not near like it is down in where that satellite office is. But we stay busy. I mean, it's a busy practice. We do oral sedations, which a lot of people mm-hmm. don't do anymore. Um, so we do a lot of oral sedations. We do a lot of uh, surgery cases as well. Mm-hmm. And in the last three years, I forgot, we did bring in an orthodontist also. So we do have an orthodontist as well. Oh, cool. Um, cool. But yeah, so we, we each do the, the, the um, associate that's in that telehoma practice, the satellite practice most of the time. She doesn't do OR cases, but the rest of us do. Okay. So do you guys have like one central hospital that you take most of your, that you do most of your GA in and you're there just a, a couple days a week or something? Or how do you, because obviously you guys are seeing a lot of patients, so you must have a decent amount of OR cases. So I'm, are you guys able to keep on top of it pretty yes. well? Mm-hmm. Yes. There's two different surgery centers that we use. Main, the main one we use is in Nashville, but, um, and that's where we see most of our patients, but there's one that's a little bit closer that we just don't get the time that we need and the one that's closer to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole nother podcast there on sure. surgery centers and hospital, mm-hmm. uh, you know, access to care. And, but, um, like I do, I'm three days in the office and then, uh, Thursday, Fridays, I'm either off or I'm in the OR most every Thursday I'm in the OR. Okay. Um, and, and the other partner does the same thing. And then the two other associates they're in there on Fridays. And one of the guys yeah. does a, there's, the surgery center does a couple of Saturdays a month and he'll, mm. he'll go on Saturdays sometimes. Okay. And so, um, I know we kind of started talking about this, but I'm still just kind of intrigued. Uh, you know, if on any given day at your main home base office, you guys might have three dentists practicing there. So does each jet dentist run, you know, have a couple set of op chairs where they're running a few ops and then a handful of recall chairs. Um, or how do you guys strategize? Cause I, I mean, if everybody's running full bore, you guys must have a dozen or 15 chairs to keep every, uh, you know, what's that look like? Yes. In the Murfreesboro office, the main office, we have mm-hmm. two, four, six hygiene chairs and two, four, six uh, private rooms. Then we mm-hmm. also have three other chairs that the orthodontist uses. Um, we are hygiene. We have hygiene teams. We have a hygienist and an assistant that work together. Um, they run a column of hygiene. And the same. So there's three columns of hygiene going. And mm-hmm. then each doctor has two private rooms, you know, to do their ops in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the morning times are mainly oral sedations. And then the afternoons are just regular, you know, nitrous or uh, normal operative. Sure. So you'd say that your practice, it sounds like is, you know, obviously you got your two different offices with two different patient populations, but in general, most of the dentistry you guys are doing is fairly bread and butter in terms of you do a little oral conscious sedation 
fillings and crowns and just, you know, typical pediatric dentistry, you guys, you know, n- not anything real niche, like a lot of tongue lip tie stuff or, or ton of ortho stuff. Since you brought in your own orthodontist, you guys are just doing pretty bread and butter stuff the rest of the time. It sounds like just right? pretty bread, bread and butter, just your normal, normal cool. restorative. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. Well, that's kind of helpful to kind of have a little bit of a background on, on the practice. And I was like getting, um, in touch with like different practices and, and how things operate. But, um, I know one of the reasons or one of the big things I wanted to talk about a little bit is, is in your story, I can't remember the details, but I know you and I had, or you kind of caught my attention on Facebook. I think a while back there was a post or something where we were talking about, you know, I don't know if it was a work-life balance topic or exactly what it was, but at some point you had brought up or I found a discussion you had had where you had mentioned that you had, I don't know if it was a health scare, you got sick. You and I started talking about like maybe a cancer diagnosis. Um, and I had mentioned that I, I kind of have changed a little bit of my perspective after I lost my dad to cancer real early and, and something that we can maybe touch on too. But, um, um, yeah. I was, I was kind of hoping we could bring that up because one of the things that's been on my mind more recently now that I'm a practice owner is like, you know, I, th- I think a lot more now than I ever did in as, as an associate about like practicing and like longevity and that healthy work-life balance. Um, and maybe just like prioritizing spending, you know, time at work, but also time with family. And then how does, you know, the, the change in health kind of play into effect. And I was just, I wanted to learn more about your story and I guess, see, see how that sure. kind of changed your perspective. Cause you've obviously been playing this game for a while and are still working four days a week, which <laughs> yeah. a lot of guys can't, can't still say that they're doing that. So obviously you must, you know, enjoy um, doing what you do to, to some extent here. So just my long winded way of asking, you know, kind of, if you don't mind, give me some of the background or the details about some of your specific situation and circumstances with, I guess, your health and how that's played into your practice. Sure. Sure. You know, coming out of the army and, um, coming into private practice, uh, and buying into a practice, it was, um, and you know, at that time I had my first kid, we had our next two pretty soon after that. And, um, you know, my whole life was focused around work, work, work. And when I wasn't at work, I was still thinking about work. And, uh, you know, things start to can kind of, uh, you can lose perspective on, on things. And I didn't have a lot of hobbies to begin with. I didn't play golf. Um, I did like to travel and stuff. But um, so early on, I um, to and from work, I passed the, little local airport here in Murfreesboro. And one day I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'll do a, they call it a discovery flight. You go up the first mm-hmm. time with an instructor and it's like, okay, I'll do that. And I went up and I'm like, okay, where do I sign up for my flight lessons here? So um, this was in 2011, I guess. Yeah. Started in 2011, taking flight lessons. Um, carried over into 2012, got my pilot's, uh, pilot certificate and, um, and just was hooked on flying. So that was, took me into 2012. And then 2014 is, um, when my, uh, cancer diagnosis hit. Um, you know, I, I wasn't having any symptoms. It was prostate cancer and no mm-hmm. symptoms or anything, but I had had a couple of blood tests done and my PSA level had gone up. So they were like, you know what, let's check it again in about a month and let's see if there's been any change. So it, it went up even higher. I have no family history of prostate cancer or anything. So, you know, I was 40, 
<clears throat> 47 at the time. So young for mm -hmm. prostate issues. And they recommended a biopsy. So I'm like, okay, I'll get the biopsy done. We'll get past this, carry on with life. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, so I had the biopsy done on a Monday and on that Wednesday, um, sitting in line uh, to pick up my youngest from kindergarten and got the phone call, you know, from the, uh, from the doctor saying, you know what, the biopsy came back and it is, you know, it, there was signs of cancer there. So I'm sitting there watching my little, uh, kindergartner walk out with his Mario hat on and his little backpack sitting here on the phone, just thinking, okay, I got to put, my, get myself together here. I can't break down in front of my kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, you know, that moment was life changing right there. So I, um, um, the, that was on a Wednesday. Then he had me come in a few days later with my wife and sit down and, you know, really talk about things. And, <clears throat> With prostate cancer, there's a, several different things you can do, and it's really based on your age. You know, it's usually a slow-growing type of cancer. And, you know, they say, you know, if you live long enough, if a man long, lives long enough, he's going to have it at some point. Right. I've heard um, that. Yep. But, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, yeah. And the doctor was like, you know, you're 47 years old. You have young kids. He said, uh, you know, if it was my brother my dad, he said, I would, I would recommend, you know, having it removed, you know, surgical as opposed to radiation seeds or active surveillance. Um, and on that, you have a biopsy done once a year. And I'll tell you, I, after one time, I would never want that experience again, just the biopsy itself. Mm -hmm. So I had decided that I was going to have the surgery done. And so that was in um, April's when I got diagnosed. I had the surgery done in July. Um, you know, the PATH report came back. All margins were clear. Um, but that's still not a 100%. It, you know, you're done with everything. But, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't require any further treatment, um, which was good. And then after that, it's, uh, you know, every six months, blood test, you know, for two years and then you go to once a year. So that's where I am now is just once a year, but it definitely a life-changing experience. Um, you know, my kids were 12, nine and five at the time. And, you know, I'm thinking here I am, all I do is, um, work. I come home, I go to bed, I get up, I work. And that's just absolutely no way to live. Um, my, about a year before my diagnosis, I had already started working with a Christian counselor, <clears throat> not far from here mm -hmm. that I would see about once a week. And, um, which I'm grateful for because that you know, had already been working with him for about a year before all this happened. So I had somebody to talk to, to help me keep things into perspective. And, but it was, uh, life kind of opened up after that, I, which is as bizarre as it may sound. 
um, that cancer diagnosis for me, I'll look at it as, I'll look at it as a gift. Um, mm. because my life now as compared to before that is vastly different. I can enjoy life now. Um, you know, I said I didn't have hobbies before I had, I was flying during all that time, but, um, the counselor that I was seeing was, he was a big fly fisherman and he would go to Colorado once a year and he's very much an introvert like I am also. And he had encouraged me to, to go. He, he, uh, he hooked me up with the guide out there and I went by myself. This was one year after my, um, surgery that I went for that first time. And I was like, wow, I had never been to Colorado in the summertime or the fall. I'd always been to, you know, to go skiing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have really been missing out on life here to, you know, just, you know, it's just as beautiful in the summertime as it is in the wintertime. But the fly fishing, um, I would go from that time. I went by myself, you know, hired the guide, stayed a couple of days each time and I would go once a year during the summertime. And that just grew into, um, just, uh, an enjoyment. And just, you know, when I would come home, I would be refreshed. Um, enjoy being, playing with my kids, um, you know, encouraging them to get out and do stuff. And I think I was a better father, a better husband, um, since the diagnosis and, it's just put a lot of things into, into perspective. Yeah. Definitely. Would you, um, you know, would you say on the, on the topic of like a counselor and, you know, you could, you could spin that any way, whether it be a therapist or a counselor or, you know, just having a professional to talk to, um, that's something that's been brought up a couple of times on the podcast, but I've heard a couple different other pediatric dentists just speak to the effect that, you know, our career being as stressful as it is and, and, you know, and, uh, all the things we go through with just being on and on stage all day and putting on the show for the parents and the kids and just, you know, then the stresses of running the practice. I've had a lot of people say that, um, you know, a therapist or a counselor or somebody to talk to is like really beneficial. And it's something that's always kind of been on my radar, but I've never pulled the trigger on, not even from a standpoint of like, I, I'm struggling with something, but just, you know, almost like you, mm -hmm. you know, you go run a mile and you lift weights for your health, you know, just for your mental and social and, you know, just psychological well-being is, is a beneficial thing. But, you know, after having gone through that, is that something it sounds like you would maybe recommend if you had another pediatric dentist that you were talking to that said, you know, hey, Dr. Stanley, I'm just really, you know, I feel like I'm stressed out with the office. I got a lot on my plate. Like, do you think there's any benefit to that? You know, I'm just, would you, would you say that's safe assumption that it's a, a beneficial thing for somebody in that circumstance? Absolutely. I, um, I would recommend it to anyone really. Um, it, uh, it gives you a time to look, look at yourself, you know, and, uh, I think as dentist, as pediatric dentist, you know, you, you try to have this bubbly personality and it's a lot of it's performance. And, um, I don't, I think, uh, our personalities are similar. We may be introverts or extroverts, but I think we're all kind of type A driven, mm -hmm you feel like you're in control of, um, of everything, or you try to be in control of everything, you know, whether it be, you know, work or home or anywhere, your aspect of your life. Um, it's just the way you've been 
we've been driven through school and um, you just feel like you have to take on the world yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you sit back with a counselor or a therapist, uh, whatever you want to label it, it's, um, it, they'll get, they'll, uh, they'll open up some things inside yourself that you didn't know was there that, uh, Mm -hmm. and for the good, you know, um, they get you away from a perform, a performance based, um, lifestyle, I guess, um, and really trying to live who you are and what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know there's a, the, a big trend as well as, is with COVID. There's a lot of this. Um, my wife and I were looking and talking about this the other day, but there's a, a big jump in um, online or virtual therapy sessions. It's like a big thing now where, you know, if you're busy or you're working from home or maybe you don't have the time to physically drive to, you know, like you can sneak in a therapy session once a week, you know, on a lunch break on a Tuesday, you get an hour lunch break, you schedule a half hour session. So that's kind of a cool thing now. I feel like to make that yeah. um, a little bit more accessible, which is kind of nice. But uh, the other thing, um, you know, that's that's interesting with your story um, is I guess I'd maybe want your perspective then on now being reflective, retrospective, and looking back. You know, I guess as far as work life balance advice for a young, maybe an associate, but just say a young practice owner, like young pediatric dentist trying to hustle and, you know, you're, you're stressed out because you've got student loans, but I'm curious how you can take your life experience and kind of that eye-opening perspective to life's too short to work all the time. You need to enjoy these things and take a moment to breathe the fresh air and all these things. But it seems hard because when you're in the trenches early in your career, you're so stressed out with, man, I've got these crippling student loans and I'm trying to start a practice and I've got patients backed up for three, four months trying to get appointments where I feel like I can't take a lot of days off. Um, but you know, at the same time, we're trying to start families and have kids and things. So um, I don't, I don't know if you have necessarily a solution for that. But I'm just curious, knowing what you know now, would you do things differently earlier in your career, or would you give advice to like a young? family oriented pediatric dentist who's a practice owner about like, Hey, I, I, if I were going to do it again, I would work this much and take this much time off. I would maybe, I would like, I'm just curious how you would structure your professional life and schedule knowing what you know now, or if you had any advice on how to do things a little bit differently now. Yeah. And and it's easy for, for me, somebody towards the tail end of my career to say, Oh, if I had it all to do over again, this is what I would do. But if I had it to do all over again, I don't, it, it would be hard because like you said, you come out of school with, um, you know, I came out with student loan debt, but nothing compared to what these, uh, what you guys are coming out with now, you know, it, mm-hmm. and that is a burden. I mean, that weighs heavy on you. I mean, you feel like you've got to pay the bills. You, you want to, you want to have a nice life. I mean, you, you want to start saving money, but it's, uh, you get into that, um, that mindset that you can't take off from work. You can't, you know, everything's going to crumble. If you take off from work, the office is going to crumble. Every parent's going to be mad. Um, but if I started all over again, I would start off by taking much better care of myself. Um, you know, in the army, I was exercising, you had to, and everything. And even when I got out of the army for a few years, I was, but then I get, got so wrapped up in the, you know, just the race and the the stress of the the practice and life in general, and you have young kids, um, you let a lot of things 
slip. Like I stopped exercising. I got up to close to 300 pounds, which is wow, insane to think about at this point. Um, but I would highly recommend, you know, talking about the counselor or therapist, get somebody early on that you trust or at, at least a friend um, mm-hmm. and not just, you know, we all have friends that you'll hang out with, you do this with, but I'm talking like a real friend that will sit down with you almost like a therapist. It'll be real with you, be speak the truth to you. Um, but also will hang out and let you vent and no judgment. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I really think those having something like that early on would have made a, a world of difference for at least me. Um, and I think for a lot of people too. Um, Cause like I said, you get wrapped up in everything and, and then everybody's depending on you. You have employees, if you're owning the practice, you have, mm-hmm. you know, parents, of course, you have a wife or a spouse, you have kids um, and things just start building up on your shoulders and, and you let yourself go. Um, but, but taking that time, the world's not going to end. If you take time off, um, the pa- your patients are not going to leave you. Your parents are, the parents are not going to leave you. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, you call and cancel the next day because you need to take a day off, I mean, you know, plan ahead. Um, you know, don't just plan like a month at a time, you know, plan, you, you know, I can, in January, we're a little bit slower. That's usually when my wife and I will take a trip together. Um, you just have to kind of plan it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, would and, and another nice thing is in a practice your size, you have the benefit of of having some associate help. But that's a conversation I've also been having a lot of lately when we're talking about this kind of thing. Is um, there's a there's a lot of listeners on the podcast that are either in the early stages of a startup or solo practitioners. You know which is kind of a dying, a dying breed a little bit, but, you know, and then I sometimes think, would it be, you know, would this whole perspective be changed bringing in an associate? And I think that's, to me, I always come back to that, that like, that's kind of the magic solution to some of these issues that, that we're talking about that I feel personally sometimes with that pressure and that stress is that, you know, it'd be nice to kind of get to the point where I can bring in an associate and then kind of have that burden sort of lifted when I want to take a week off or plan out or take some more time or maybe not feel so stressed out when I'm there because I know that on the days that I'm off, I've got somebody else coming in to kind of keep up with the load. Um, but that's a perk to you guys. You know, you guys have a nice big office. You've got associates. Like I'm, I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it, it seems like that's something that could help, you know, help more than hurt is having a couple extra sets of hands in the office to try to keep up with patient demands and things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you, it does make it easier to, to take time off when you know that the practice isn't shutting down completely. Um, and, you know, in our, our associates, I encourage them to take time off as well. Um, it, it's beneficial for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know we, we talked about um, my, my dad's story a little bit and I'm not, I don't want to make this podcast about too much of my, um, family life and stuff, but it's just, it's relevant to the topic on, on the cancer diagnosis that, um, yes. the, the, the summarized events here just for, I've talked about it before on previous episodes, but it's, it's relative because my, um, 
my dad was kind of like you where he was, um, how, how old are, are you now, David? I don't, if you don't mind me asking, are you, I am, uh, just turned 56 last month. 56. Okay. Yeah. So my dad would be 59. So a, a pro, you know, a few years older than you, but, um, he was a pathologist and, um, healthy guy took pretty good care of himself, but worked, worked quite a bit. And, uh, um, but you know, wasn't a smoker, didn't have any other risk factors or, f- um, maybe a little bit of a family history. Cause my grandpa had the same cancer and died, um, fairly early in his sixties. But, um, my dad was at the grocery store or no, he was on vacation and started having some stomach pain and, um, uh, told a colleague of his, you know, being a pathologist, had all these medical colleagues, um, told a surgeon buddy of his, he said, now let's get a scan, make sure nothing's going on. He thought maybe it was like diverticulitis or something, but they did a CT scan and had, um, you know, they found a, a lot of stuff that wasn't supposed to be there around his bladder. So they went in and did a biopsy. And, um, I guess when they found out all this information, you know, on the test, he was at a grocery store and was just getting groceries and got a phone call, kind of like your situation when you're out picking your kid up from school, but he was just getting groceries like any other day after work and got a phone call that he's got stage four bladder cancer and it's, um, metastasized to, you know, all around his like into his pelvis, into a bunch of places. And, um, so then they got him on a bunch of really aggressive treatment. They started a bunch of aggressive chemo and they, it was too, too advanced to take out his bladder. And he, uh, he fought it, did a bunch of stuff for like almost two years. It went up to his brain. So they did like a brain surgery and took out a tumor up there and, and got, got by for a while. But, um, you know, it was just kind of too, too late at that point and eventually went on hospice and he, he didn't make it to quite two years. But what was, what was tough about that one is he, because my grandpa or his dad, my, my dad's dad went through the same bladder cancer in his sixties. My dad was like, man, I don't want to mess around with this. Cause he saw his dad, my grandpa work his whole life as a, he, my uh, grandpa was actually a general dentist in St. Louis here, but, um, worked his whole life, raised a family, you know, wasn't a, a high flashy, high end flashy dentist, just really blue collar type guy and was a dentist. And he worked up until he was about three months away from death's door and then hung up the handpiece and then died and never got to really enjoy life. So my dad was like, well, I don't want to go through that same thing. You know, I'm going to really save a bunch of money. He always lived on way less than he made. You know, he tried to work really hard and he, he spent plenty of time with us, which was cool. But you know, his whole goal in life was I want to try to retire a little bit earlier so I can enjoy plenty of time because my dad made that mistake and didn't get to enjoy it. Well, just like you know, kick to the nuts while you're down. My dad's 56 when he got the diagnosis and he was set to retire like in six to 12 months from when he got the diagnosis. So, you know, unfortunately kind of the same thing happened to him and he even played the whole game, right. You know, he had his nest egg set aside, made a lot of good decisions and still Mm -hmm. got sick anyways. Um, and, and so, you know, um, you know, had a millions of dollars in the bank and, and to take care of my mom and everything, which is great. But the the poor guy never got to enjoy his retirement. It was this really sad deal. So I try to think of what life lessons yeah. I can take away from my whole experience with dad, which is kind of why your story resonated with me is, is, you know, just the general theme in healthcare is everybody likes to work like crazy and, and, you know, and then you just never know what life's going to throw at you. And, and all of a sudden you think you do everything yeah. right. And then you get a cancer diagnosis and then maybe life gets cut short and you worked all that time to not really enjoy yourself. So it's, it's hard for me to get a good takeaway from that other than I'm just trying to walk that line of like live on a lot less than I potentially make and just put a lot of money away so that I can really take a lot of time off in my forties and just really travel a lot and enjoy myself and enjoy family and things. Um, and, and just, you know, not go out and buy the biggest house I could possibly buy and buy, 
yeah. all these different things. You know what I mean? Um, and at this point, I'm kind of just rambling, but I'm just trying to I'm trying to derive as many messages and lessons from that whole story as I can, um, because it, it kind of resonated with with your story. But um, a lot a lot of similar similar parallels there. But it just kind yeah. of you know makes you think you got to stop and appreciate life while you can, because you never know what's going to happen and and weird things like this can pop up and you want to make sure you don't, you know, hang the handpiece up and then keel over dead the next day. You know, you got to enjoy life a little bit. Exactly. And that's why I was saying that I felt that I look at my diagnosis and I feel like, I, you know, it's I'm lucky as compared to your father. And I'm so sorry for your loss with your dad. I appreciate that, that story. Yeah. Um, but I look at it as a gift for me. It was a gift because it helped me turn, turn around a lot of things in my life. Like I said, I was up to almost 300 pounds, you know, since then I've, um, made it a point to, to be outside, to, to be active. Um, you know, over the last seven years, I guess I've, you know, lost about 90 pounds, 90 plus pounds. Um, I swim laps multiple times a week before work. Um, I uh, ran my first half marathon a year ago, a week before wow. my fifty fifth birthday. That's amazing. Uh, That's awesome. I don't know if I'll. I don't know if I'll do another one, but it was oh, my man. first and maybe my only. But um, you know, I fly fish as much as I can. Uh, you know, I've got a good buddy that I met uh, the last five years that loves to fly fish, and we got a drift boat together, so we hit the rivers around here as often as we can. Um, and actually going on this Wednesday, we're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I also try to remember to be, um, grateful for every thing that I get to do like that. Each time I go fly fishing, I feel grateful for it. Um, because you know, that my life could have been totally different than the way it's turned out. And you know, how you found me was that Facebook post I had done on Mm -hmm. July 16th where that, that was my fly fishing buddy that was flying with me and my daughter and her boyfriend, you know, we got up and I'm like, you know what, this is it. That was the, um, anniversary of my surgery date. The, um, what's this 22, the eighth anniversary. And the whole time I'm flying, we flew to new Orleans, spent the day, you know, did our walk down bourbon street, had some good food and, um, hung out for a little bit and then flew back home. And each little thing like that, I'm extremely grateful for. Um, Cause you get to see the sunsets, the sunrise, the hangout with friends and um, uh, just take advantage of it, little opportunities like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I never, I, I, I never miss an opportunity to be grateful for what's what I have since the diagnosis. For sure. Then you know, a question for you then, David, would, would you say that you've changed your perspective and as far as the way that you treat patients or, um, you know, your patient interactions after, after the diagnosis? Um, and I'm thinking in terms of like, you know, we get those stressful parents, like high demand parents or parents that have unreasonable expectations. I know I've, I've kind of heard from some people more, this is more so like people that, you know, guys that are still working guys and gals that are still working that, you know, financially, I guess, don't need to, or kind of in their retirement type years where they, they may be retired and just came back because being a pediatric dentist is part of their identity. And they just got bored, not bored in retirement, mm-hmm. but just were so fulfilled by it and they didn't realize it. And they 
will tell me, you know, life is different when you can do pediatric dentistry because you don't, you know, you're not a slave to it. And you aren't feeling forced to show up and do it every day because then if a parent comes in and, and they don't like what you're saying and it's being difficult, you just, you don't lose sleep and you say, well, you're welcome to get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you had a little touch of that or, or any change in the way that you treatment plan and, and stress out about patient situations after your diagnosis, if that changed at all as well. Well, I've always tried to treat every patient like it would be my own child. Um, now I'm going to recommend to do something on somebody that I wouldn't do on my own child. Um, but, you know, prior to the diagnosis and, uh, and all that, yeah, I mean, if somebody didn't, you could just tell when a parent wasn't believing a word you were saying um, that they didn't, they wanted you to do what they wanted you to do and not what you felt was necessary to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would let that get to me. And it was one of, like you mentioned, you take it home at night, you lose sleep over it. Um, the realization that I've had since then, and, and part of it could just be getting older as well and not necessarily the cancer diagnosis, but it's, you know, realizing that those parents, they walk into that office you have no idea what they have been through to even walk through that door. What's happened to them the week before what's happened to them that day, you know, what's going on with their spouse, their parents, their, their other kids. Um, I had a patient today, a parent that they hadn't been here in two years and the kid um, he's autistic. He needed work done a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, we were, talking to her about some things. And she said, you know what? She said, my husband passed away. (sighs) Five months ago, she said, we just had a hard time. And I said, that is completely okay. You know, I told her I was sorry for her loss and, you know, just sit and, and talk to them a little bit and try to see if you can kind of figure out where they're coming from. And it'll give you a whole new perspective on how to kind of deal with some of those parents. Now, some are just flat out mean people (laughs) and nothing you say or do is going to change anything. I know the type, but you do have some. Yeah. 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 You know, there's, it's just, um, but I do not lose sleep over it anymore. If somebody disagrees with me, I'll say, you know, you're more than happy to more than welcome to get a second opinion. Um, and I, in fact, I encourage you to get a second opinion. And, and I don't, I don't take that. I don't take that outside the office door when I leave, I leave that in the office. Mm-hmm. The, um, uh, that's a, a good perspective. You know, you don't, you don't think about what's going on in that parent's life during the day. Um, uh, a lot of good things that I've never thought about, but I almost just a, a tangent in my little bunny rabbit brain was just thinking, you know, what's, again, you're seeing 40 kids a day, you're running around, you're not really putting yourself in your, the parent's shoes that, you know, they're stressed out and had all these things going on. And this is really random, but I think, you know, when's the last time I've actually sat down during an exam or something and, and, you know, made a mom, you know, you look really nice today. Or like, I, I lo-, you know, you're always complimenting the kid and working off of that. But, um, sometimes it's almost, you know, it, it's maybe an important exercise to put yourself in parent's shoes and make, you know, mm-hmm. we obviously try to always make the best experience for the kid in that Disney world experience where they have a great time and it's fist bumps and toys and everything. But, you know, it's, I should maybe, it makes me think, you know, you never know what's the parents going through. And sometimes it'd be nice to put yourself in their shoes and, 
um, you know, make sure that they have a good experience and, and, um, a compliment here or there goes a long ways and just be a empathetic person. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of good perspective based things to think about there. So it's all very, very wise advice. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Um, well, I guess, uh, as we, we kind of wrap up here, Dave, you know, there's, I feel like there's a few other things that potentially we could have talked about. I know that, um, and, and I, I might, I kind of want to keep this on the same theme thing today. I know we had potentially talked about, um, some employee stuff and potentially some office embezzling, you know, a bunch of things that we had said we might talk about, but I feel like that could crack yeah. open. We could be here for another half an hour going into all that. So we might have to keep that for a part two, um, podcast sometime because that's uh, yeah. a topic that interests me as well. You know, <laughs> a little teaser on that. I don't know if I had told you, but they have been arrested and their first court date is coming up December 14th. Okay. Well, how about this? Could Things you give, are moving could on you, that could you give me the cliff notes? Let's make this a five minute power session then because the, it was an interesting sure. story that you had brought up, but your, your office recently went through some embezzling issues or like you've had your first time having an issue with this, which as you know, is pretty common in dentistry, but can you give me the power summary of what yes. was going on and what transpired there? Sure. Well, the, the good, the good thing is the employee herself was not um, embezzling from the actual practice itself, you know, from patient parent payments and that type of thing. Um, her husband uh, is paramedic. Uh, he, he took care of our crash carts, our emergency training, keeping everything up to date and all that and had access to our um, credit card for keeping the supplies going. Well, Come to find out there ended up being about 15 different PayPal accounts set up with our credit card and either his name, my name, his wife's name. Um, uh, and it wasn't just PayPal. It was Venmo, all kinds of different things that uh, charge. We would find charges. We'd have them reversed. We'd have to get a new card and come to find out it was all points back to him. Mm. And, and from some of the stuff coming back from her as well. But um, it has been an ongoing thing. And we, we actually um, had a, a company do a forensic audit on our software and everything to, to try to see if there was any additional embezzlement from her being a front desk employee. Um, and so far, they have not found anything on that side of it. So, so just to but get it straight. People you trust. The, 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 her husband was buying a bunch of medical, like crash cart supplies, but then kind of fraudulently, um, like using the cart, like pretending to buy surprise, but supplies, but was not really buying them or, or he was mostly just stealing and embezzling the points bait points off of the card for the most part. They were, he was ordering stuff for them personally. Um, it even had, um, <laughs> they had just purchased a new house uh, back in the late winter, early spring. Um, we were paying, come to find out, our card was paying their electric bill, their internet bill. Um, it, you know, nice vacations they were going on. It's just uh, oh my gosh. one thing after another. And and what was it? Uh, what was it that finally like blew the lid off this whole thing? Because that's I mean that's a deep rap. You know you hear about okay so and so 
you know, cash a check or did something like that. But this was obviously a very deep thought out scheme here. So what, what was it that yes. did you guys just really look into a statement like, man, why is this so high? Or how did you guys catch on to this? It had to do with the crash cart or emergency cart. Uh, one of the assistants went in there to get the Benadryl out. Uh, the kid had a little rash and she went to get the uh, Benadryl out of there and just happened to look at the expiration date on it. And it had expired like two years ago. She's like, that's really, you know, strange. And, you know, they told me about it and everything. And then I had a patient not show up that morning. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go through this crash cart and just look at some things. And keep in mind, he had been doing our crash cart since 2016. So it's been a while. And his wife had been working with us for 10 years or almost 10 years. Trusted him, totally trusted him, treated their kids. Well, anyway, I did a little inventory on the crash cart because I had an inventory sheet sitting on my desk for about three months because uh, there was something in the back of my mind was like, we are way overpaying this guy for his services. And so I've had an inventory sheet that we had paid three different invoices on within the last year and a half to two years. So I go back there and I do an inventory sheet and every single thing was expired. And I'm not talking just like a few months. I'm talking from 2017, 2018, because his instructions to us were we had no business going in that crash cart unless we absolutely had, you know, unless there was an emergency going on. You know, it was his responsibility to keep it all. Um, we even paid him a monthly. We paid it like a year invoice for 12 months of monthly inventories that he would come and do. Mm -hmm. And so right then I knew it wasn't happening and it hadn't happened for a very long time. And he would be in the office, you know, with his wife there and all that. And um, so I did that inventory. I thought I could possibly have a stroke during that time. My blood pressure, there's no telling how high it was. So I went back in and I saw a patient. I came back out and he was standing there by the crash cart. His wife had gotten a hold of him. He was in there and, um, and I didn't say anything to him. I went into my office and he came in a little bit later and he said, what's going on? There's only uh, one thing that's expired in there. He's like, uh, and I said, really? Just one thing? He said, yeah. And I've got my little inventory sheet. I had already written everything down on. I said, all right, let's go back here to the crash cart and uh, see what's going on here. And he starts pulling out stuff and he said, yeah, see, this is 2014. This is 2000. I mean, 2024, <laughs> 2000. Uh, you know, 23 and all this. And I said, well, that's funny. I was looking at my inventory sheet and I'm like, well, an hour and a half ago that had expired in 2018, you know, and he's like trembling and sweating. And he's like, well, I'm going to go down. Um, I said, uh, um, he said, he said, I'm getting ready to go down to the, to the satellite office to tell him he took care of that one too. I said, no, no, you're not. I said, I, I'm going to be taking care of this. Cause I'd already called down there and had them do some inventory. So I had the dates on there and that's when we called the police is when that wow. happened. Cause I knew the lid had been blown off and there had been some more recent things with credit card stuff that it was just all coming together all at that it point. It all made sense. Yeah. Did, um, so then yes. did, was there ever a big conversation? I mean, I, you know, they are getting charged and all this, but was there ever like a come to Jesus talk with his wife who came and tried to explain herself or kind of apologize, you know, for 
betraying years of, you know, just like, did that ever have a, was that conversation ever had or no. has, no, Mm-mm. no. Cause when he left that day, after I talked to him, he left, she left crying because she was saying, I don't know what's going on. And you know, all this stuff, she left crying. Haven't seen for, seen her since. Haven't heard from her. Um, so man, I, I, I have not had a conversation with her. Um, but you know, just in the last few weeks, she's been on a cruise and just, just, I mean, just and posting it on Instagram and just, obviously you guys have got the the credit card thing situated where like, they're not able to use the office credit cards and all that. That's all. Correct. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there uh you know, everybody's got their own degree of comfort with, you know, how much their employees do and is, you know, anything from, um, crash card inventory to cashing checks to dip bank deposits and, um, entering EOBs and everything in between. Um, but you know, I, I wonder if what this comes down to is how much attention do you need to set aside to, to, to you know, look at your statements every month and make sure nothing's too out of whack. But I guess what's, what's a take home lesson from this that you could maybe impart upon myself or some younger dentist, anything that you would recommend that could maybe avoid these type of things going forward. So we don't make the same mistake, I guess. Well, uh, we have a lot of systems in place to where, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful that the embezzlement, uh, the um, um, forensic audit people have not found anything else going on. And actually they've been very complimentary of the systems that we have in place to try to prevent anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want, I, I don't ever want to be in a, a point in my life where I feel like I can't trust anybody. Um you know, always looking over somebody else's shoulder, that type of thing. It's not good for, I mean, mentally, it's not good for you. I mean, to, to have that kind of outlook on other people and sure. Um, but, but you've got to be a, a little bit smart about it as well. You know, if, if something, if something doesn't look right, which over the last few years, there's been, inc- been situations where I'm thinking, that's just not exactly right, but I trust the guy you know, mm-hmm. or I trust his wife. And, you know, you, you kind of feel like you look stupid in a way that something like that could happen. But again, I don't want to walk around not trusting anybody, but, but be smart with it. Be, you know, the people you that do have access to it need to be accountable for it. But yes, I, I do go through statements and um, I follow that credit card like a hawk. Now I have it on my cell phone where I can pull it up and it'll alert me of something out of the ordinary is going on. Mm. Um, but be smart about it, but, um, also be a little bit, uh, well, I don't even know the way to put it without sounding, uh, uh, you know, don't trust anybody. Sure. No, it's, it's, nobody's going to care about your own money, I guess, as much as you do and, and, and pay attention to those things. So, uh, you know, there's, what do they say? A reason that was one out of every three or four dental offices get embezzled at some point in time. So obviously, you know, it's not like this is a unique thing. This kind of thing happens all the time. But when going back to what we yeah. talked about, when, when work is your life and you're just trying to keep up with patients and fix teeth all day and put on the show, you know, sometimes it's easy at the end of the night to just, you know, say, uh, why don't you go through all the, you know, tell your front desk or your one employee, go deposit all those checks and do all that and run the card. And, and you just stop paying attention to those things after a while. And then that's when you kind of open up the door yeah. um, for that. So it happens a lot in our profession, but 
again, it sounds like it just comes down to being kind of diligent yes. and paying attention to things, you know, but, uh, well, David, I, I'm, uh, I'm not going to keep you any much longer at the office on uh, uh, late on a Monday night, but um, I feel like we <laughs> covered a lot of really cool stuff. You know, we could we could have a whole nother follow-up podcast on some of these other things and the embezzlement topics, kind of an interesting one. But I'm glad we got a chance to kind of dive into, you know, some of your practice outlook changes in, in your career because, you again, you've been doing this game a lot longer than I have. So some of my favorite conversations are always the one where I get to talk to the pediatric dentists that have been doing this game longer than I have. Cause it's, it's cool to get that perspective from somebody that's been at it for a while. So I appreciate the wisdom and the time, um, set aside to, to come chat yes. with me. And it'd be an honor sometime in person, either at an APD or if I have a reason to swing through Tennessee, I'd love to stop by and buy a beer in person sometime. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening to the bruise and tiny teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.